Welcome to the Weekly Walk Podcast, where we bring you impactful sermons from our vibrant Seventh-day Adventist community in Onalaska, Washington. Join us as we explore faith, hope, and love through engaging sermons and inspiring stories. Whether you're a longtime member or just curious about our beliefs, tune in to find spiritual nourishment and a sense of community in our shared journey of faith. Well, good morning, Alaska Church family. I had to say that because in two minutes it's going to be afternoon. <laughs> you know what appears to be one of Jesus' favorite topics in the Gospel of Matthew? A number of parables start out with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. I counted 12 parables in which Jesus either started the parable by saying the kingdom of heaven is like, or strongly alluded to that theme. This morning I want to focus on the third last kingdom of heaven parable Jesus shared in Matthew. And it's a very very common, well-known parable, but it's good for us to reflect on these from time to time. Um, Turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. There's actually three parables in Matthew 25. Um, And of course, Matthew 24 is probably one of the most prophetic chapters in the Gospels about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and the Lord's second coming. And then he goes in right into uh, chapter 25 and he tells three parables. One is about the the wise and foolish bridesmaids, virgins, and the next is the talents, and the third is separating the sheep from the goats. But uh, we're just going to focus on the first parable here, Matthew chapter 25, and again here it starts, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, in, uh, in the Eastern culture, the, the bridegroom often was building an add-on to the house because houses were very expensive and often they would build an add-on to the, the in-laws, his parents' home, that they would occupy. And when he got that done, he would come and get his bride and often they didn't know when that was going to be and it often came as a surprise, but people needed to be ready. And thus these, these bridesmaids were invited to this event. They took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they what? All slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but you go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
Verse 12. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, what? I do not, I do not know you. Those have got to be the saddest words any human being can hear from their Lord. I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Quite a parable. We're going to unpack it here and talk about it a little bit. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to deal with what the title was. Why Jesus waits. Why is his coming so delayed? Um, so here in this parable, we have five wise virgins contrasted between the five foolish. What makes the wise wise and the foolish foolish in this parable? They weren't prepared. What the, were, the wise were prepared with what? The extra oil. A flask with the extra oil. Uh, and the foolish didn't have that preparation done. This parable is representative of God's people in the closing days of this world's history. You see, the ten virgins have all been invited to participate in the wedding celebrations. They represent God's church, the people who profess to have a relationship with Jesus. They are the people who are awaiting the bridegroom's return to this earth to take his bride, his church, to his home he has prepared for them for eternity. They all had their lamps with them. Do you have your lamp with you today? Do you use it to illuminate your way through this dark world? What is our lamp? I saw some of you reaching for the word. Or maybe your smartphones. I personally, we were just having a little debate about this this morning. We were studying the lesson and I pulled out my smartphone. Myrn told me, I don't like that. You got a Bible, use it. <laughs> She's, and she made a good point. Sometimes you pull out your smartphone to do devotions. I've got all, all of Ellen White's writings on my smartphone as well. But can you be easily distracted and be led down a garden path to check this or that or check your emails before you know it? You know, your time with the Lord might be diminished. So our lamp, Psalms 119.105, tells us, doesn't it? Thy what? Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do we need this? Such a time as this, we need the Word. Um, and I've said it before, with so much misinformation and disinformation floating around there in the media and YouTube and whatever. This is one thing you can count on. No misinformation, no disinformation. God's word can light our path and show us the way to glory. Amen? Are we spending time in God's word every day? Or are we allowing Satan to distract us by the busyness of the things this world, of this world so that we find ourselves coming to the end of each day with little or no time spent with God in his word? Verse 5 indicates that the bridegroom was delayed and they, it says they what? All, every one of them slumbered and slept. Why does Jesus wait? Why has he not returned to take his bride home to be with him for eternity? We'll look at this, the answer to that question a little bit later in the sermon. As a result of this delay, this parable indicates that God's people have fallen 
asleep. They have become spiritually drowsy and have fallen asleep to their purpose for what they have been called to do in this dark world. They have grown tired of preparing themselves and the world for Christ's second coming. Many have fallen asleep in front of their television sets with the remotes in their hands. Many of us have become exhausted by running around trying to make ourselves comfortable in this earth when we need to come to the realization that this earth is not our final home and that we are just passing through. Many of us have become so comfortable with our homes, families, our lives that we are slumbering and sleeping and have grown tired of watching for the bridegroom's promised return. Have we forgotten that God's people have a special mission and message for this very time of this world's history. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, which was the passage I selected for the scripture reading. Isaiah chapter 60 has admonition for us. Isaiah chapter 60. And we'll read the first three verses together. What does it say? The first two words. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. As Christians, that's where we get our light from, is the glory of God that shines upon us. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Are we there? Is there a lot of darkness in the earth? And it seems like it's building. And the deep darkness, the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Then verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. There's no way that we can be lights unless we're connected to Jesus and spending time with him. Amen? And securing that Holy Spirit, that oil supply that the, the, wise, the, the, wise, the foolish were lacking. God desperately needs a revival in his church today. We need to arise and shine. The world needs to see God's glory upon us. There is no other reason for the SDA Seventh-day Adventist Church to exist other than to reveal God's loving character to a sin-sick world. The world needs to know that there is a Savior who unconditionally loves them. That would be good news to a lot of the population, wouldn't it? That there's someone that created them redeem them, and unconditionally loves them. It is our message and our mission, mission to warn the world of the coming destruction and to invite them to enter into a personal, meaningful, saving relationship with Jesus. The wise virgins get to participate in glory with the bridegroom and the foolish virgins miss out. Why? What makes the wise wise and the foolish foolish? We touched on that already. Was the oil. The foolish, they took no extra oil with them in verse 3 of the parable of Matthew 25. They needed that extra oil. They originally had oil in their lamps, but it was used up and they had no reserve. Have we run out of oil in our lamps while we await Christ's return? In the Middle Eastern weddings, the bridegroom would come to the bride's house unexpectedly. The wedding festivities could last as long as a week. 
the bridegroom would at some point go to make preparations at his home to receive his beloved bride. He would return to take his bride to be with him at his house. This would often happen in the middle of the night or at midnight, as it said here. The function of the bridesmaids was to use their lamps to light the way for the wedding procession to find their way to the bridegroom's home in the middle of the night. The foolish originally had oil in their lamps for this purpose, but because of the delay, their oil was running low and they had no extra oil. The foolish had some oil, but it was almost gone. How's your oil supply today? Has our oil been running out? Are we in need of extra oil today? If you're back to Matthew, we're focusing on Matthew 25, verses 6 to 9. We'll just highlight, we've already read that. In verses 6 to 9, the wise and foolish virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish had some oil, but they didn't have enough to make the final journey to the bridegroom's house. What does the oil represent in this parable? Holy Spirit. What does the extra oil or Holy Spirit mean to us as we reflect on this parable this morning? How do we get that extra supply? Spending time, drilling for it, not surface. We need to drill for that oil, don't we? Um, why does Jesus use this symbol in this parable? because it's so important. Without the Holy Spirit working on our hearts and us surrendering to it, we could miss out on this great day. In Old Testament times, the priests that served in the sanctuary services and even the furniture of the sanctuary were anointed with oil. This represented being set apart for a special purpose. It represented an unreserved total commitment to the Lord and to the work that he had appointed for us to do. What is the work that God has us for us to do today? Turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 33 together. Matthew 6, 33. What's our work that God has for us to do? Matthew 6, 33, it says, but what? Seek what? First, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In his discourse, he was talking about food and raiment and clothing and so forth. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Let's go uh, forward a couple of uh, chapters to Matthew 22. Matthew 22 gives us a hint of... Uh, what the work God has for us to do or what we should be doing in preparation for his second coming. And let's begin in verse 37. Verse 36, let's say, Teacher, um, a lawyer came up to him, testing him and saying, verse 36, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So developing that relationship with the Lord, loving him with our whole being. What does it say? 
loving him with your heart, soul, and mind. And then, once we have experienced that love, then we can love those around us, our neighbors, as ourselves. Let's go to one more, another text in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and we'll read verse 17. Mark 1, verse 17. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will do what? Make you fishers of men. Excuse me. So that's another thing we need in preparation. We need, how many of you like fishing? Some? Not every, it's not for everybody. But Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. As his disciples, we're to disciple others and bring them into a knowledge of God's love for them. So that's another thing. And then let's go to the, uh, let's go to Matthew, uh, Matthew 28 just across the page in my Bible, Matthew 28, and this is known as the Great Commission, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of authority, isn't it? All authority. And then here's his commission to us. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our, that's our role. Disciples, healthy disciples, make healthy disciples, or mentor healthy disciples. But the best part of this is God doesn't ask us to do it alone. What does he say in the last phrase? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And if you want God with you, if you're discipling someone, he's going to be with you. Amen? He's called us to do it. He's going to empower us. And everyone, everyone can do that. In fact, you might be interested, if you, if you started praying for the Lord to give you someone to study his word with and to mentor and create another disciple, that's a prayer God wants to answer. Amen? You know, another use, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to share his love with a lost world and prepare its inhabitants for his soon return. That's what the oil is given for. Um, the Holy Spirit, when it fell on Pentecost, what were the disciples able to do? They were able to heal people. They were, when they spoke a message, 15 different people groups understood in their native language. That was given so that the gospel could go out to the ends of the earth. Unfortunately, every good gift that God gives, the devil counterfeits. Kind of the modern use of uh, speaking in tongues is not what God intended, by and large. Um, and it's really not furthering the gospel. If everybody's speaking English, why would someone need to speak up a heavenly language and then have someone interpret it? It doesn't make any, any sense. But we're, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to repeat this phrase, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to share his love with a lost world 
and prepare its inhabitants for his soon return. Does this world need to hear this message? God gave, the, and the prophetic books, the three angels' message, which is kind of the reason the Seventh-day Adventist Church was uh, born, is to proclaim that three angels' message, isn't to scare people. It's so people can be prepared for what's coming. You know, another use for oil in the Bible was for healing. An example of that is found in the story of the Good Samaritan pouring oil on the wounds of the man that was beaten badly as he traveled on the road to Jericho. Do we need, as a church, to be healed from the wounds of sin today? Have you been beaten up by sinful practices in your life today or maybe in the past? Do our hearts need to be healed from destructive gossip, a spirit of criticism, an addiction, a critical attitude to others, bitterness, pride, arrogance, an unforgiving spirit, the pursuit of materialism, the power of sin. Do we need healing from that? Yes, we do. What does your heart need to be healed of today? Bring it to Jesus and let him give you rest from those burdens. What does he tell us in Matthew uh, eleven twenty-eight? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That weary and heavy laden is the burden of sin that presses down on us. He wants us to take it to him. He paid for those sins on the cross, lay our burdens at the foot of the cross, and enjoy the rest in him, in his salvation that he offers us. This oil that we need represents the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He will illuminate our lives with his truth. Jesus promised to send the Comforter in greater measure when he returned to his Father in heaven. Do we need comfort from the Comforter this morning? Jesus will send him to you if you but ask him to. If you are comfortable where you are today, then you are more likely have no need for a Comforter. But if you sense your desperate need of a comforter today and come to Jesus with your need, he promises to send you the comforter. Now, I ran across, this is just before I shifted from teaching into the pastoral role, I ran across the job description or role of a pastor. You know what a job description or role of, well, there's lots of job descriptions, but this is just to the point of what we're talking about. The role of pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Think about that. Let's look at the fatal mistake that the foolish virgins made in this parable. They had some oil, but not enough to carry them through to the end of the marriage celebrations. A superficial experience with God will not get us through to the end. We cannot rely on an experience that we once had years ago. Does your heart still burn within you when you open God's word to explore what he has in store for you that day? Does Jesus move in your life as a result of the time that you spend with him in prayer? Do you enjoy special times with Jesus while you open your heart up to your best friend? Are you allowing Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform your life? Or are you comfortable 
with where you are right now spiritually. You know, being comfortable is what happens just before a person falls asleep. Isn't that true? Have you gotten so comfortable that the devil has lulled you to sleep? The foolish virgins trusted in the past experience they once had and were not prepared with an ample supply of the Holy Spirit when the midnight cry went out that the bridegroom was coming. I've got a quote from Christ Object Lessons that I want to share with you, page 410. It goes on to 411. Without the Spirit of God, knowledge of His Word is of no avail. The theory of truth, unaccompanied by the Holy Spirit, can't quicken the soul or sanctify the heart. One may be familiar with the commands and promises of the Bible, but unless the Spirit of God sets the truth home, the character will not be transformed. It goes a little bit with the knowledge and wisdom that we were talking about in Sabbath school this morning, doesn't it? Carrying on with this quote, Without the enlightenment of the Spirit, men will not be able to distinguish truth from error and they will, will fall under the masterful temptations of Satan. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yet yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock, Jesus Christ, and permitted their old nature to be broken up. Carrying on with this quote, the Spirit works upon man's heart according to his desire and consent in planting him a new nature. But the class represented by the foolish virgins have been content with a superficial work. They do not know God. They have not studied his character. They have not held communion with him. Therefore, they do not know how to trust, how to look and live. Their service to God degenerates into a form. <coughs> End of quote. It's quite a quote to ponder. That's Christ Object Lessons, page 410, 411. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and we're going to read here. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Are we in the last days? Are we seeing perilous times? It's going to be an interesting next few months leading up to this next election. Um, verse 2, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Wow, that's quite a list. And if you reflect on that list, you could probably find, we can find each one of us somewhere there. Um, do we need the Lord to change our hearts? Yes. Have you allowed, 
Um, I think we can all find ourselves, like I said, represented in this list. We certainly don't have to have, we certainly don't want to have a form of godliness, but deny God's power. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to do its work in your heart today? Do you find that your old nature is still in control of your life? While you're in good company, remember Paul in Romans where he says, the good thing I want to do, that's what I don't do. And uh, the thing I don't want to do, that's what I do do, right? That's the old nature raising its ugly head in our lives. Do you hold the word of God in your hand, or maybe on your shelf, but not in your heart? Are you informed of the truths found in God's word, but have been yet have yet to be transformed by them? Have you been so radically impacted by the work of the Holy Spirit that you are allowing your character to be transformed by it? No one else can do this work for you. Only you can totally surrender yourself to Jesus and in turn invite his power through the infilling of his Holy Spirit to change your heart and life. Don't delay. Invite Jesus to give you the rest from your trials and labors right now. I want you to seriously consider this while I deal with the question, why does Jesus wait? Why has the bridegroom's coming been delayed? I want to put forth three possible explanations for that. Turn with me to 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And it reads, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that what? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves all his children. The plan of salvation provided provision for everyone to come to Jesus and be saved. But yet people don't avail themselves of that opportunity. So God delays. He's not willing any should, be, should perish, but that all would come to repentance and the knowledge of him. God is waiting for a generation of people that are passionate about sharing his love with the world. Desire of Ages, page 6333, just a short quote here. It says, by giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. We are not only looking for, uh, look to look for, but to hasten the coming of the day of God. End of quote. Have we been doing all on our power to hasten the coming of the Lord by sharing his love with others? Suggestion number two, why Jesus waits. Je Jesus waits for his church to reveal his character of love to a hungering world. Christ's Object Lessons, page 69. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. End of quote. We want to be more and more like Jesus in how we treat one another, how we treat those in the community, and so forth. Um, Christ Object Lessons, page 414, states it this way. So the followers of Christ are to shed light into the darkness of the world. Through the Holy Spirit, 
God's word is a light as it becomes a transforming power in the life of the receiver. By implanting in their hearts the principles of God's of his word, the Holy Spirit develops in men the attributes of God. The light of his glory, his character, is to shine forth in his followers. Thus they are to glorify God, to lighten the path to the bridegroom's home, to the city of God, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. End of quote. We need to invite Jesus in to transform us, to change us, so his glory can shine out and his love can touch others. Amen? Third reason why Jesus waits. Jesus waits so that the, re the wickedness and rebelliousness of sin can run its course, and the ultimate result will be seen and experienced by everyone living in this world. Prophets and Kings, page 417, puts it this way, there is a limit beyond which the judgments of Jehovah can no longer be delayed. The desolation of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah is a solemn warning to modern Israel, spiritual Israel, that is the church, that the counsels and admonitions given them through chosen instrumentalities cannot be disregarded with impunity. When the Holy Spirit comes knocking on our heart's door, we need to open that heart. We need to receive him in. We need to be brought under to conviction that we need to place at the cross. Amen? God is waiting for a generation of people to 